0: talk about last week we talked about overcoming discouragement and this week we're going to talk about overcoming sin right you're like sin oh no i oh, know sin is one of those words that's kind of gotten lost in translation in our modern culture john 16:33 jesus says to his disciples and he says this to you i tell you these things so that in me i may have peace say this with me in this world come on in this world I will have trouble. You know how you spell trouble? L-I-F-E. That's how you spell trouble. That's funny. You guys can laugh. That's all right. Like seriousness. Thanks. (laughs) If I was really serious, this is serious. We're talking about sin. So I know we got to get serious. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that comes, overcomes the world, our faith. So with the scripture, this is like a twofold thing here. The Bible's telling us two things. Number one, when you get born again and you give your life to Christ, you overcome this world. This world is fallen. This world is broken. This world is condemned. This world is hopeless. This world is, an, is, is a system that's not part of God's system. There's two cultures. There's the the world's culture and there's the kingdom culture. There's the way of the way of the Lord and there's the way of the world. And when you get born again, you're literally spiritually, you're taken out of darkness and put into light. You're translated from darkness to light, thereby overcoming this world. You're, you're, You're brought out of something that you couldn't get out of. Concept in the Bible is like uh, Israel coming out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt, God brought them out of a place that they could not get out of. God brought them out of a bondage that they could not get free from. This is what happens to us when we get born again. So we not only just are are overcomers because we get born again and we come out of this world or out of this world system, but say this with me. We are given overcoming power through faith. So here's the question. What's faith? isn't that the question say this with me faith is trusting and believing in the promises of God that's right let's take it another step faith say this with me faith is belief to the point of action faith is not passive faith is active Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 now faith is uses the word now present and active that word kairos kairos faith is faith is kairos faith is now in the moment and it's active so faith is trusting in and believing in the promises of god the promises believe mean nothing unless you actively participate in them it's not passive when you participate and activate the promises of god they become real jesus died for the whole world he promises you new life you can be born again you can be free eternal internally his kingdom, he will put his spirit in you, and that just kind of passes us by. He gives that promise to the whole world, but that promise only becomes active to those who actually not just believe it in their mind, but step into it by faith and lay hold of it. He said, if, I, if you open your heart to me, I'm going to come in. He said, if you, you give your life to me, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to adopt you. You're going to be transformed. Old things will pass away. All things will become new, and we just kind of wave at that. That, that promise means nothing unless you step into it and activate it. And so our our the power that Jesus gives us, not just through when we're born again, but the power that we have over our present world and over our present circumstances, that power is only activated by faith. And that power and faith is trusting in and believing God for the promises. What has He said? What are the conditions associated with that promise? What needs to be met? What is the key that opens the door of that promise? God has promises. It was the greatest revelation when I came to Christ. I was at a church that preached the promises of God. An old man, 73-year-old man standing up there. On the first Sunday I was there, I, was kind of, I, was, I just went to church. I was completely clueless. I didn't know denomination. from denom- My roommate at the time was an alcoholic, <laughs> but he knew all about denominations. Right, He knew, oh, what kind of church? I'm like, I don't know. It's a Bible church. I don't know. It was me at the time, right? So I show up, and then there's this, there's this gentleman standing at the front, and he holds up the Bible, and he says, this is a book of promises, and every promise in this book is for you. And I'd heard Jesus, and I'd given my life to Christ. When I remember giving my life to Christ when I was a little boy, but nothing was. I never was in church. Nobody taught me anything. I just kind of, it was kind of there, and I, I wanted the Lord, but I didn't know how. And here's this guy holding up this book going, there's promises, and these promises are for you. And I was like, what? What did you just say? There's promises? You mean God doesn't want anything from me? He wants everything for me? I mean, God's not angry. God's not against me. God's not looking over my life, waiting to judge me, looking for me to trip up so that he can point out a wrong and so he can condemn me. That's not, this. That's not true. And it wasn't. And I spent, I've spent the last a latter part of my life, I've given myself to that, and I've laid that on the line. And I said, if these promises are true, I'm going to know it. And they're beyond true. They're true beyond true. They've, his promises have never failed. And when you activate and participate in the promises of God, they do not fail. And the promise and the power that we have in this world, in this life, the kingdom of God is activated by faith. The kingdom of God does not activate in your life just, just randomly. This, this, this is a separation. So we think that God's going to do everything for you. He's not going to do it for you. He's going to do it with you. We have to partner with the promises. Every promise of God requires participation, including salvation. You cannot say Jesus paid it all. He, paid, Jesus. If you really want the truth, Jesus has died for the whole world. The provision for the entirety of all of human of the human race to be saved is already made. It's already been given. Sorry, my headpiece is falling off here. What's going on here? What's happening? My fighter pilot. You know, Houston, we have a problem. The provision for the entire race has been made, but that provision is only activated when those who participate in it. That's it. Jesus has died for the whole world. There's nothing more that God needs to do for mankind to be saved. He's done everything. But that that doesn't mean that the whole world is saved unless they participate in it. The power that God has given to the believer, the overcoming power, we are overcomers. And this is the power that that we have that overcomes the world, our faith. That only operates when we understand it and we participate in it. When we talk about sin, we have power over sin. The Christian has power over sin. We're not just free from sin. We have authority over it. But that sin is of no consequence in our in our current culture. Sin means nothing to a world that neither knows God nor honors God. It means nothing. I used to have a guy I worked with for a long time. I was uh, real estate, did real estate for a while, was an investor, buying and selling years ago. And the guy that we always used the team of people, and the one person that I used um, was uh, our mortgage guy. He would always want to have spiritual conversations with me, and he wasn't he wasn't a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. And when I would bring up the subject of sin, he goes, that's where you and I are going to part ways. He's like, I don't believe that sin. What's sin for you may not be sin for me. And what's sin for me may not be sin for you. Sin is relative. I'm like, really? I'm like, who determines, who determines what's right and wrong? Is murder wrong? Well, yeah, of course murder is wrong. Well, what if I think murder is not wrong? Who is society to tell me that murder is not wrong? You know, we don't, we don't get to make this stuff up, Right. And so sin is something that's lost. It's of no consequence in the world because they don't have any concept or honor of God. Sin is no, concept among, no consequence among Christians who've lost the majesty of God. One of the things that's happened, unfortunately, within our modern churches is our churches have gone from atmospheres of worship and adoration to where they're, they're, they're pretty much uh, self-help business meetings, right? It's a Tony Robbins gathering every Sunday, rah-rah. And for the record... I like, to, I like the, the encouraging message. I'm into the Tony Robbins, you know, self-help, rah-rah. I like that. It's good. But that's not the substance of what we are. That's an, that is a, um, an accessory to the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel is the worship and adoration of Jesus. Who he is and who you are in light of him. And who you, what your purpose and your destiny is in light of who he is and who you are. understand that that the 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 message is woven around those things the 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 awesomeness of god the beauty of god the reverence the adoration the wonder of god and who he has made you who you are to him and understanding not just who you are to him but getting you to understand that that you are no longer to see yourself in light of who you were but in light of who he says you are And then you're not only to see yourself in the light of who he says you are, but you're to understand your purpose and the entire substance and existence of your being is to be summarized in what he wants. It's called the pursuit of the kingdom. That's the message of the church to the believer. Who the Father is, who we are, and what he wants from us in light of that relationship. Everything else is noise. And so if we're not proclaiming that, we're missing it. It's not, and so what happens is, is the church loses its sense of awe of the Lord. It loses its sense of wonder with the Lord. It loses its sense of reverence with the Lord. And we, we reduce God down to like a friend, like a big buddy. Hey, big buddy. Or that Jesus is just okay with everything. And we don't understand that he's a king. We don't understand that his title is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay, so king means a total, is is totality of rulership. Lord means benefactor, benefactor. So God is the one who's in charge of who? Of you. Christian goes, no, I'm in charge of me. Bible tells us this, when you become born again, you are bought with a price and your life is what? Not your own. I lead people to Jesus all the time. And if I'm having a personal conversation with somebody, when they come to Christ, I tell them that. I said, you understand what's going on here, right? You're giving your life away. You're surrendering your life. You may not fully understand that, but you need to understand that conceptually, when you give your life to Christ, you're returning everything that you are to him. That's why separation is there, because man said, I don't need God, and he separated himself from God, and man pursues all of his own interests. That's what happened. That's the sin of separation. Man says, I'm God. I don't need you. That's the, and that's the wovenness of, within the culture of all of the problems that we see is rooted in that concept of sin. Man became self-seeking. And he was willing to commit malice in light of that self-seeking. Malice is a willful desire to harm another in order to gain for myself. And that's, this is the substance of what sin is. An absence of God, a, 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 a divine authorship of self... And then the ability or the willingness to harm another person in light of, my, in light of me. We've all done all that. We, all of that we've committed. The sin of separation. Jesus is Lord. And the church has created this concept and we create fairy Jesus. And what happens when we create fairy Jesus is sin or righteousness is reduced. And when righteousness is reduced, sin begins to rule where the kingdom is supposed to rule. And sin becomes the overarchingness within the church. I've had guys sit down with me and a problem. And again, I, you know, I'm just going to tell you what time it is. A lot of times we don't know what time it is, right? There's churches right now today with pastors who think it's perfectly acceptable for things to be done in the church, among the believer that is not acceptable in God's eyes. I'm not saying it doesn't go on. Look, there's stuff that goes on. We're all sinners. The, the difference between... Sin actually occurring and the church condoning it. Well, now we're on two different places. We're on on a completely different page. Look, people are screwed up. We're sinners, right? Join the party, right? Struggling is entirely different than condoning it. Are are you with me? You know, we all have issues. We all got our problems. We have good days. We have bad days. We have spirit filled days, spirit led days, and then we have days where it's just completely carnal and, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you're human. Is there any humans in the room, right? Okay, so we, we, we have that. There's a tolerance for that. But, that we don't, we, but we never subject God's righteousness for our own will. And that, unfortunately, is what's gone on. And one of the things that goes on in, in, in that, that atmosphere is created when the wonder and the awe of God is lost, when the absence of His majesty is lost. We do it because we honor Him. He's our Father, God told the people of Israel, if I'm your father, where's my honor? He tells them in the same passage, I'm a king and I'm a great king and I'll receive honor and if you won't give it to me, I'll go find a people who will. Honor creates access. And so what ends up happening is when the honor of God and his nature and the presence and the personhood of who he is is an honor, the church no longer accesses him. We might access his atmosphere, but we're not accessing his wisdom and we're not accessing his understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of help me, wisdom. That that word fear is an interchangeable Hebrew word and it means reverence and awe. So which one is it? It's both. To revere him, which is in honor. It's not fear I'm going to sit in the corner and tremble. That's not the fear of the Lord. Fear is reverence and respect for what he says. You understand that? Obedience to him because of the position that he holds. Again, that's to understand who he is. I revere you, Lord. I honor you. You are wiser than me, you are more mighty than me. You said it, I'll do it, that's the way it goes. You're my father, I honor you, I revere you. That's, that's, what, that's what the fear of the Lord means. And the other side of that is awe. And without reverence, and without awe, there is no wisdom. You may, have, you may be in a place where there's an atmosphere of the presence, but the access of wisdom no longer is there because the denial of honor is, not, is there. Or the, the awe and the wonder is denied and in the awe and the wonder is the awe and the wonder. Wow, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are more wonderful than I could have ever imagined. You are better than I thought. I need to change the way that I think because you are more wonderful than I think. You are more loving than I ever imagined you to be. I need to open up my imagination more and see you for who you really are wonder, wonder, amazement. That is what opens wisdom up to us. So when there is no reverence and there is no awe, there is no wisdom because the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. And so this is why. And the church loses its savor. The church is called to be the light of the world. I'm dealing with this, and I'm putting it in the context of sin. You know, the the church is to be the light of the world. Anybody ever heard that one? We're also the salt of the earth. Anybody ever heard that one? Okay, we're also a city on a hill. Anybody ever heard that one? So a city on a hill is what everybody looks to. You know, the light of the world is what everybody looks to. The salt of the earth is what is a preservative. It's what adds flavor and what adds sustaining power. And so Jesus said, if the church loses its sustaining power, it's good for nothing. Be trampled underfoot. When we practice a gospel of reduction and we reduce God down and we take him off of his position of majesty, we become good for nothing. We're no no different. The church vacates its responsibilities and the Christian vacates their responsibilities. And the the problem is, is we have to understand the majesty of God. That, that's it he he's king it's not what i want it's not what i feel it's not what i think it's what he says that's what it means to be obedient we'll follow god and we discipline ourselves because he said so not because you feel like it but because he said so and why why would you why well, who is he to say that to me he's king okay let's start with that one then we'll go lord okay Right? And then, then if you want to really get where you're supposed to be, because he's your father, okay? But if you can't understand him as your father and you don't understand that, he's a son and a da- that you're a son and a daughter before him, then you need to understand that he's Lord. And then you need to understand that he's king, okay? Discipline is the lowest form of discipleship. It is. When in doubt, discipline yourself, right? <laughs> I want to go off on people sometimes, but I discipline myself. I, you understand that? Then there are times when I'm in the spirit and I don't need to discipline myself because life is in me and people do the craziest and stupidest things and act like, I don't know, pick a word, you know. And I feel no response at all other than just, hey, whatever, it's good. But, but there are times when people, people and people situations can be provoking, okay? Again, are there any humans in the room? You're a Christian, right? Your, your patience is tested. You're down to your last nerve and that person is working it. You know what I'm saying? Working it, and you want to go off, off, right? You say I still go off. Yeah. Well, okay. So don't condemn. You know, people go. Well, I still have a problem. I used to do it a hundred times. Now maybe I do it like maybe ten. Okay. Well, we're making progress. We're making progress. We're moving in the right direction. But there are times when you have to discipline yourself. You have to make yourself do something you don't feel like doing. Right? Just because everybody else is going off, we're not supposed to do certain things. And that's where discipline comes in. Ezekiel had the majesty of God. Everything God did and every, every mission and every inbreaking of the kingdom through the lives of people began with a point of majesty. Majesty. Before Isaiah went, he, the Lord showed him his glory, took the coal, and he sent him. Ezekiel, we're going to talk about this one, had a vision of God's majesty. The disciples, Peter, James, and John, he took them up on a mountain and showed them his majesty. Majesty right? Then he shows the rest of the disciples his majesty by resurrecting from the dead. And they stood in awe and wonder, who is this? Who is this that rises from the dead? Begins with awe and majesty. We can't reduce him down to who he is. He's your father and he loves you and you have access to him. But he's not your equal. He's not. You're equal in him, but he is not, you're not equal apart from him. In other words, in Christ, I'm seated in heavenly places. In Christ, I'm given authority. That's in Christ, not in myself. In other words, I can't bring God down to my level and expect him to be in agreement with me. I have to come into agreement with him. That's the whole idea of lordship. Understand that? And so my equality and the rights of my inheritance lie in my leaning into my identity and identifying myself with him, submitting myself unto his lordship, taking my rightful place in heavenly places, and ruling and reigning in spiritual authority from justice, right use of power, using the power that he's given to me in the way that he has told me to. That's, that's what it means. That's the understanding. We practice the gospel of reduction. It's wrong. God told the psalmist, you think that I'm altogether like you. That's your mistake. You think I'm like you. I'm not like you. I'm better. I'm higher. My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the Earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thought, my thoughts are above your thoughts. God is, we are to, we're called to rise to him. We're called to conform into His image. That's the difference. You, am I making sense? Yes. OK. So Ezekiel sees an idea of a majesty, and our problem is is that when there's a problem and there's a lack of understanding and we don't get something, we think there's a problem with God. There's no problem with God. The problem's always with you. Say this with me. The problem is always on our side of the equation. If God has promised you prosperity and prosperity isn't coming, it's not because God is keeping it from you. There's a problem with you. Oh, no, there couldn't be a problem with me. God doesn't love me. Where does it say that? The problem's with you. He's promised abundance to you. Your barn's to burst forth with plenty and your vats to burst forth with wine. He's promised it to you. He's promised to make you the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. He's promised to bless you in the city, bless you in the country, bless you in your eating basket, blessing in your coming, blessing in your going. He's promised that. Does anybody want to argue that? He's promised it, right? It's there. It's in his word. And if he's promised it, then why don't we see it? Well, there's a problem on our side. Well, what could that problem possibly be? A, you're not meeting the condition of the, prop- of the promise. B, you're misaligned in your attitude, in your thinking, and you're believing a lie and you're in, you're in deception. That's, that's the things that are keeping you from it. It's not because God is withholding his promise from you. That's not. It's not it. God's promise that these signs shall follow those that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Is that not there? Mark 16, Matthew 28, on it goes, shall we say, right? Jesus sent out his disciples and gave them authority over devils, gave them authority over sickness and disease. That promise is not just to them but to you. Then why don't we see it? Is God withholding it? Not at all. There's a problem with us. What's the problem? We're not praying for the sick. That's number one, okay? Or we believe a lie and we don't believe that God heals, Well, that'll disqualify it right out of the gate. Or B, we believe that God is healing at His will. God wills. There again is another lie. So therefore, we don't pray for people because you know it may not be God's will to heal today. Well, God loves Sister Susie, but He doesn't like Sister Mary. You know, today that means well, she got healed, so He must love her a little bit more than He loves you. You know, you might want to. You guys might want to get together and compare notes and find out what she's doing. That where God is shining His light on her. There's a lot of reasons for it, for why the healing isn't there. But the number one reason is that we don't pray for the sick. And then the, number t- then the second reason is our methodology and the way that we approach it is wrong. Would you, could you, should you? Oh, God, if you're in a good mood today, would you, could you, should you? We're never told to ask for healing. We're told to command it. We command healing. Jesus didn't look at Pete passing by the gate beautiful he perceived that the man had the faith to be healed and what did he tell him did he say oh god if it's your will let this man rise up and walk he commanded it there's healing all through the all through the old testament we're given authority we end up asking god for something that he's given you the power to do you say well then why doesn't it happen because you a you don't know what you're doing you don't know what you're doing which means, B, you need to learn what you're doing, which means, C, that in, and you need to push up into, into, the, into the highest level of understanding and revelation that a church can provide for you, and then you need to go beyond that. We see healing here all the time, all the time. All the time we see healing. Why? Because we pray for the sick, and we pray in accordance to the way that he does it. And you say, well, you prayed for me. Something made up wrong. There, may be a, there, may be, there also may be external conditions surrounding that. There may be a generational sin that the enemy claims a right to that needs to be broken. There may be some other thing that's going on that needs to be broken. There's something going on here that may be preventing it. Maybe there's a lot of factors involved here. The churches we're like cavemen. Ting, ting, ting. Our knowledge is primitive. We don't. Our knowledge of healing and the supernatural is primitive. And as soon as we experience something supernatural, we get a bell and we start running around. Look what I got! Ding, 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 ding! Look what I got! I got a trinket. And then we skip around for for the next 20 years jingling a bell. Look what I got. Look what I got. I can prophesy. You can't. Watch me prophesy. Ding a ding. Don't you know that that's for everybody? Look what I got. I pray for people. They get healed. Look what I got. Don't you know that's for everybody? Our, Our knowledge is primitive. The power of God is real, the power of God is present, the power of God is now, active, and present. We lose our awe, we lose our wonder, and in forfeiting that, we forfeit a lot. His awe and his wonder. When you experience Jesus and you have an encounter with Jesus and you have a power of God come into you or touch you or transform you, there's no denying it. No denying it. Ezekiel saw, he saw living creatures. Okay, so when the Bible... So let me do this. When, say this one. When the Bible is describing the un- indescribable, it uses this is like that. So the Bible will use the language, this is like that, or in the appearance of. And what the, what the writer is saying to you is, I have no idea what I'm looking at. It looks like this. That's what he's saying. So Ezekiel seeing living creatures. He has a vision of the glory of God. God's about to send him to do a mission, a work, his mandate. And he has a vision of the glory of God. And the first thing he sees is he sees living creatures. What do they look like? Well, he describes them. But he's doing the best to describe them because they're literally indescribable. And he sees these living creatures, and they're burning, or they're on fire. And he says they're burning like coal. And above the living creatures is an atmosphere. The Bible calls it a firmament. And above the atmosphere is a throne. And upon the throne, the, the throne is blue like sapphire. And sitting upon the throne is a man. And around the man is burning amber. Amber burning. Flames. Right? Right? And surrounding him and above him is a cloud, and in the cloud is a rainbow, and the rainbow is backlit. So you guys ever hear me talk about the thrones, right? They're a throne, game of thrones. No, there's thrones. You're talking about a game of thrones? No, I'm talking about thrones. There's thrones in the Bible. There's a the white throne of judgment, and there's the beam of seat of reward, which is also called the rainbow throne. So Ezekiel's in front of the right throne. The Christian goes before the rainbow throne. It's the throne of covenant. The unbeliever, those who've rejected Christ or denied him or passively not accepted him, they go before the white throne. They sit before the one who sits in judgment. He does not sit in judgment of us. He sits in covenant with us. And so here the rainbow throne is appearing to Ezekiel. And it's awe and it's wonder. It's amazing. I thought this thing on amber is really cool. That amber, amber is not consumed. It just disintegrates when it burns. So when you burn amber, it's a resin from a tree. And it just goes... And it just, it just dissipates. And so he has this dissipating power, this power that's just being just around him. And amber releases a fragrance and an aroma, and it was considered sacred. There's a whole bunch of stories about that, but anyway, I won't get into that. But the, the, the whole idea, and there's a fragrance. So Jesus is sitting there, and there's a fire burning around him that's consuming but not consumed. That's the same image that Moses had of a burning bush, a tree that was burning, but yet it wasn't consumed. Same same imagery going on here. And Jesus is appearing even in the Old Testament. The Bible is reflecting God to us as man. We're made like him. We're created like him. So we're created like him. And in the process of following him, we are made like him. So we are created in his image. We've sinned. We've fallen. Now we come back to him. And as we come back to him, now he makes us in his image. He uses time and process to transform us back into the person that we are supposed to be or that he has called us to be. And the only way to do that is we have to begin with reverence and knowledge. You have to realize you're not it's not about you. You're not in charge. Jesus is in charge. You go, well, "I don't even know what that means." That's you need to learn. You need to learn. You need to learn what it means. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. "Have don't you know? Haven't you read?" He said to the disciples, "Have you been with me this long and you don't know this? You don't know me?" I think it's uh, Mark 7. He looked at him and he said, how long will you stay dull? Good Lord, that should be proclaimed upon the church. We are Christians been saved for 20, 30 years, 5, 10, 15 years, and you're still dull? How long will you remain dull? These guys had only been with him for two years and he's looking at him and saying that. Are you that dull? How long are you going to stay like this? How long will you tolerate ignorance? How long will you tolerate stupidity? How long will you tolerate not knowing? How long will you tolerate deficiency? How long will you neglect a relationship that I've invited you into? How long will you stay dull? We have to ask ourselves that question. How long will you keep thinking you have the answers? How long? 10 years, 20 years, a lifetime? How long? It's a rhetorical question. You have to make up your mind that I'm not gonna be dull anymore. I'm changing, I'm transforming, I'm getting out of this. I'm not following my way anymore. And I was young, and I would screwed my life up so bad, I come from so much shot-out crap, it's not even funny. Totally. And somebody put Jesus in front of me and said, follow him, and he'll change it all. And I said, amen. And I never looked back. And he's changed it all. He's changed it all. And there have been many a circumstance that has tried to bury me many a circumstance that has tried to destroy me and i've gone through them many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers them out of them all all that's the difference between the believer you will be delivered out of them all they will not destroy you they will not consume you it will not be the end of you to the unbeliever it is their end it is their doom there is no advocate they call and no one answers There is no advocate for them but the believer has an advocate the believer has the power of the kingdom available to them it's your birthright it's your inheritance how long will you be dull to your birthright and your inheritance you have to lay claim to your birthright and your inheritance and i get christians go all the time you can't say that pastor i'm like it's in the word show me where i can't not only not only can i not only can i show it in the word and not only is it there i can show it to you by practical application in reality if the word is true, it will manifest in reality. If we can lay hands on the sick and recover, then we will see ourselves laying hands on the sick and they will recover. And we do. Yes. We see it all the time. We see fire starters. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Bring people to fire starters, do an encounter with the Holy Spirit. People are prophesying. Everybody's like, what? I can prophesy? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It is a promise and it, is, and it will manifest itself in practical reality. It's given to you. Dreams and visions. We do vision encounter. We do a vision encounter in Firestarters. You're like, what's that? I'm like, come to Firestarters when we do it, and you'll find out. So I'm not too sure about that. That sounds a little weird. It's awesome. It's amazing. I remember, Millie, you're the one. Even when, remember when the first time I did fire, I did the vision encounter? And after it, and it was like the testimonies that came out, because I, I didn't know how it was going to go. I'm like, well, we're going to do vision encounter today. And I was like, okay, this is what the Lord, did. so we just put it together and we did it. And Millie's like, wow, she told me afterwards, she's like, that was amazing. Those testimonies were amazing. She goes, but I have to tell you that when you first said you were going to do this, you, she said, I thought, I'm not too sure this how this is going to go. And I thought, I told you, I said, I thought the same thing. I go, I don't know how this is going to go. But God said that we can have dreams and we can have visions. And if he's promised it, then we'll be able to experience this in practical reality. And people had crazy visions, crazy visions. Crazy, like cool, super cool stuff. Why? Because it's demonstrable in practical reality. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is at hand, Jesus said. It's right here. It's within your reach. And the kingdom is given to you as sons and daughters. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without reverence and honor and awe, there is no wisdom. You can have presence, but yet not have wisdom. Can I get a witness? Lots of Christians out there that know, understand, and they know Jesus, but they have no wisdom at all because somewhere there's been a lack of reverence or there's a lack of, of awe. Reverence is an obedience, people. A lot of times when you're disobedient to something God has directly told you, so we have, we have generic instruction, and then we have direct instruction. We have the generic instruction of the scriptures. There are certain things in the scripture the Bible says, this is, this is for all of us, Right? And then there's direct instruction for you. God will give you direct instruction. And when we do not obey the direct instruction, that is a failure to honor him. And it's amazing how wisdom becomes shut off to us. All of a sudden, there's no wisdom available to us anymore. And it's because of this lack of awe and this lack of reverence. So there's three concepts that have to be understood and three concepts that have to be taught in the Bible. And so in John chapter 16, verse 8, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When sin, righteousness, and judgment is no longer preached within the church, and I'm going to explain it to you, so don't get uncomfortable. Don't get all weird on me. So sin, righteousness, and judgment, this is what the conversation has left the church. The church now, instead instead of messages that convict and challenge, we try to teach messages that comfort. I'm all in on comfort. I love to be comforted. You know, my wife just... Found a my pillow on a on a discount for ten bucks, so I got my pillow. So I love the comfort of anybody know my pillow? My my okay, like, I like comfort. I like comfort as much as the next person. But the Bible tells us that there's a value in sin, righteousness, and judgment being understood. And you say, well, it's for the world. It's not for the church. Well, the church has to understand sin because if it understands sin, righteousness, and judgment, it understands who we are in light of that and what our responsibility is in light of that. Righteousness, say this with me. Righteousness is what is right to God. Uh huh. Say this. I'm really going to get you now. Righteousness is not what is right to the culture. Righteousness is not what is right to the government. Right? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's righteous. Church has got that all muddled now. That pastor's going, well, it's legal. It's perfectly legal. I'm like, are are you stupid? You know, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't know these things? That's literally it. I'm like, are you dumb? But they say, there are pastors who believe that. That because our government, a city, a nation, whoever passes a law that violates the moral principles of God, therefore it must be okay. Who told you that? There's lots of laws that are legal there are more like i mean if we're going to look at saudi arabia we're going to look i mean i mean women can't drive if you drive in saudi arabia you're arrested does that mean god approves of that ladies you can't even drive a car they give you lashes for driving a car a woman driving a car in that country because the government says this is the law just because it's a civil law does not mean it's the moral law just because it's a civil law does not mean it's the spiritual law there's different spheres of the law. You have the ceremonial, you have the religion. You have the ceremonial law. You have the law of the spirit. You have the moral law. You have the civil law. The lowest of all laws is the civil law. That's the civil law. It, in other words, the other law, the, the law of the spirit and the moral law, supersede the civil law. They beat Paul and Silas and commanded them with legal authority, preach no more the name of Jesus. And they said, you judge, between you judge what is right, and you tell us whether it's right to obey you or to obey God. What's, which, 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 which is better? That's right. We, we, you know, well, we're, Romans 13 tells us to obey the laws of the land. Not when they conflict with the moral law, Christian. This is, again, where the, where the church is the salt of the earth, you know? And we become intermingled we become conformed to the culture, not transformed. We are not of this culture. We are of the kingdom culture. So just because the culture says this is right, we're like, sorry, can't go with that. I can't go with that. I'm not down. Judgment. You're free of judgment. So the, you, in Christ's righteousness, you are right to God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean to the Christian? It means that what I just told you, but it also means you've been made right with God. You cannot be unright with the Lord. Say this with me. The Lord Lord is angry angry with with me no more. Isaiah 54, this is as the waters of Noah to me. As I swore in the waters of Noah that I would never flood the earth. He's speaking of the blood of Jesus. That's Isaiah 53, so 54 follows. And he says, the blood of Jesus, this atonement on the cross, is as the waters of Noah to me. As I swore with the waters of Noah I wouldn't flood the earth, so I swear by the cross of Christ and your acceptance of that sacrifice that I will be angry with you no more. That's what he tells you. He's not angry with you. Who told Jesus he's angry with you? He's not angry with you. I don't understand that. He's not angry with you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that true or not? Romans 8 1. There is right now, in this moment, in this time, it's a perpetual moment. There is therefore now, right now, and it's a continual eternal moment. Every moment of your life, from this point forward, there is no condemnation. You don't know what I did, you don't know what he did. The sin that condemns you is the denial of Christ. No other sin condemns you. Smoking, drinking, and chewing, hanging out with those who are doing, that doesn't condemn you. No external sin. No break. The breaking of the moral law does not bring condemnation. The breaking of the spiritual law is what brings condemnation. Spiritual law, man was created to be in union with, with, with his creator. That law was broken in Adam. The breaking of the spiritual law was broken in Adam. That, Adam, that, that breaking of that law was atoned for in Christ and that, that breaking of that law can be unified. We now can be one with Christ and the separation in the spiritual law can be atoned for but the moral law still stands. The moral law and, we, and Christians united with Christ break the moral law all the time. Come on, can I get a witness? Lie, cheat, steal, hurt people, act maliciously, open your mouth, say things, gossip. I don't know, pick one. Pick Pick one pick pick some morality that you have violated the breaking of the moral law does not condemn the believer it does not the breaking of the moral law brings bondage the breaking of the moral law brings pollution it corrupts the soul some of you know which i'm what i'm talking about you know you shouldn't do it you do it anyway you break the moral law and you feel the corruption of the breaking of the moral law but it doesn't condemn you eternally that's the difference you can break the moral law. What do you need to do? You need to repent. Repenting, God, if we, if we uh, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from what? The pollution. Not from, you don't need to get saved again. That's not getting saved again. It's the cleansing of the pollution because of the breaking of the moral law. And when should I repent? Every time your heart's convicted. So if you said something stupid to somebody, right, and the Lord goes, you shouldn't have said that to that cashier. She was only trying to do her job. And you go, oh, I don't care about that. Da, 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 da. You need to be sensitive. So when the Holy Spirit is telling you, look, you need to say, and you need to go back in. You need to humble yourself and go, I'm so sorry. I was snarky. I was out of line with you. I just wanted to ask you to forgive me. Right? And then you ask the Lord to forgive you, and you're cleansed from that. When you don't, then you're always going to feel this guilt. And say, oh, man, I spoke really bad to that. You get what I'm trying to tell you? I'm trying to put it in simple terms. But the breaking of the moral law does not condemn you. It does not profit you. All things lawful, all not all things profitable. This is what I, I I thread this through this church all the time, so that you understand that that sin does not condemn you. We don't understand sin. We have haramatia, which is the sin of offense and separation. That's the breaking of the spiritual law. And then we have haramatano, which is the which is the sin that brings pollution, corruption, bondage, and brings nothing profitable, and can and will kill you. Okay, right. And if you have a problem with it and you, so there's, there's, if you just sin without any regard, you need to, first of all, the Bible tells you to look at yourself and see if you're saved. If you're struggling, which most are strugglers, or if you sin out of stumbling, or if you sin out of compulsion, the compelling sins, the sins that you are driven to commit. Okay. The one that you just keep doing and you can't stop yourself from doing it. You just keep doing it that's related to a wound there's something in you that's broken and something in you that's messed up that's why you keep doing it the compel the compulsive compulsion of sin is rooted in something it's rooted and you have to undo the root and the compulsion goes that's it but the compulsion doesn't do it it doesn't go until you heal the root But if you sin and there's no regard if it's not out of compulsion if it's not out of stumbling or it's not out of just i was stupid that day and you just go there's nothing wrong with that you probably need to look at yourself and say that i'm not whether or not you're in the faith because the bible doesn't condone an acceptance of sin grace is is a net that helps us because we will sin right but grace is to bring us to a place we're never going to be sinless in this life it just isn't going to happen God help us. I'm sinless in the spirit. I feel great in the spirit. I'm like, woo, yeah, but I'm going to do stupid stuff. I'm going to have bad days. My flesh will win, and I will not, and I will lose. Fear will get me, and I'll do something stupid. I'll make bad choices. I don't want to, but I will, right? Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? It's not a habit. It's not a lifestyle. I'm not living this lifestyle of bad choices, but it will occur from time to time. It will occur. There will be people who will hurt you, and you will have a hard time forgiving them, even though you're commanded to forgive them, yes. you'll have a hard time. I say, oh, not me, pastor. I forgive everyone. I'm a glowing example of forgiveness. I had this one woman tell me that one time. She's like, I don't, there's just no forgiveness. I would never have a problem with forgiveness. That's an easy one for me. You know what I told, I told her, that, that's why I say this all the time. I said to you, because no one's hurt you deep enough. I said, you don't struggle with forgiveness because no one has wounded you deep enough. You just got to get, the, you just gotta get a, a deep cut and you'll see exactly or be betrayed or whatever, whatever the context is. With that, you know, you're going to struggle. But the moral law does not condemn you. The moral law does not produce anything good when we break it that's where we need repentance and that's where we need free from but sin will be terminal in every case so i can go out there and i can struggle and i have a, I can have a compulsion and this driving compulsion to do drugs and i do drugs and i do alcohol because i'm medicating a wound that's in me that i refuse to recognize or i'm compelled to do wo- drugs and alcohol and i keep medicating a false identity a wound a lie and i keep doing that and i keep doing that even though it's wrong and i'm destroying myself and ultimately i die cuz sin is terminal I'm still not condemned. You want me to get really more personal? You can jump from relationship to relationship to relationship because you have a broken relationship with your father, and you can keep trying to draw in the need to be loved and validated by someone else, and you can do that again and again and again and again. You don't have one one, one husband, and you've had five, right? Jesus didn't condemn her for that. He was pointing to a wound. That's what he's pointing to. You have a need. You have a vacancy in your heart, and you have a hunger within your heart. You have a need and a desire, and you're looking to fill it from other things. Men do the same thing they can't commit to one woman. (laughs) Commitment issues. Or they got to jump to five or ten different women because they have to validate themselves that they're a man. Or that they're so insecure that they cannot allow themselves to be become vulnerable so they don't stay in the relationship long enough to become vulnerable because inevitably that's what the relationship will do, expose you. Yes, it will. Yes. Thank you. Got one person. <laughs> but it will expose you. And so they don't want to be exposed. And so they cut it off before it gets too deep. Do the same thing with Jesus. And all that is doing is it's pointing to a dysfunction. And you're not rejected. It means you've got a problem. You have a wound that needs to be addressed. Those are things that are done in your life out of compulsion. Well, if she loved Jesus, she'd just stop jumping from guy to guy. She doesn't really love Jesus because she just can't stay with one man. She just keeps jumping, jumping from guy to guy. Oh, if he loved Jesus, he would actually commit. He would actually, you know, no, they, they love Jesus they love jesus but there's a wound that is compelling the sin you understand that and that sin is a violation of the moral law and it's bringing destruction into their life whether they want to or not people can't come to church because they believe a lie that they're not accepted they're not loved they're not part of the group who told you that all are equal at the cross of christ no big eyes or little u's slave nor greek Greek nor Greek nor free, Jew nor Jews no Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all equal, all equal. No big eyes, no little U's. All of us are equal, and we're equal before the Lord. Equal. None are rejected. All who come to me, I will in no way cast out. Who told you you wouldn't be accepted? Who told you that? They believe a lie, so they act out of a compulsion, and they won't. They won't get, They won't allow it to happen. These are, these are issues, but those are not the issues of condemnation, right? You got a brother who's struggling with drinking, there's, pro- there's a deeper problem there. And we condemn them. Well, you know, he's acting in an immoral way. Drinking isn't, sin, gr- drinking isn't the sin, drunkenness is. So if you can drink and you'd be fine, You're, there's, no, there's no condemnation on drinking. But if you get, if you got it, every time you drink, you gotta go into oblivion, right? Like my old roommate, I was telling my wife last night, she knows the story. My roommate used to drink six beers every night. He'd come home from work, put six beers in the refrigerator, and say, Kevin, don't drink those beers. <laughs> Before I was a believer. He'd drink six beers every night. Every single night of the week. And then on the weekends, he would up the ante because he had more money, so he could buy more beer. <laughs> That's a problem, right? He's not socially drinking. He's the guy's an alcoholic, and then every time he gets, every time he drinks, he's got to go into oblivion. That's a problem. That's a problem. Those are moral things. Those are moral issues. Those aren't con- condemnation issues. I think I made, did I make my point. <laughs> I want you to be free for freedom's sake. Christ has made you free, and I want us to have the right perspective of this because we get locked in religious mindsets, and those are not the mindsets of the kingdom. People love Jesus, and they're dysfunctional. And what we need to do is point them to the function, right? We need to point them to where the function can happen. You got hang-ups. You need to come to inner healing today. We got some stuff going. And we all got hang-ups. Everybody's got hang-ups. The only difference between your hang-ups and another person's hang-ups is one person hides them. The other person is just all there. But everybody's got hang-ups. Hang-ups can be wearing Armani or can be wearing Goodwill. doesn't matter. No matter the clothes, hang ups come in all shapes and sizes. So true. Doesn't matter, everybody's got them. The ones that go free are the ones that deal with them. The rest of them just keep them. <laughs> I like to go free. The law brings us to Jesus. Discipline, good deeds, and determination can't cure sin. So what's the answer? Salvation and overcoming power in the pursuit of the kingdom. I'm going to try to wrap this up. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, came into the world to save sinners. So what's the, what's the answer to all of these problems, sin's problems? The first answer begins with coming to Christ. That is the answer to the sin problem in the world. Jesus is the only solution. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody, no how, nowhere is coming unto salvation, unto the Father, unto the kingdom, any other way but through Christ it, period. Say, I don't like that. I don't know what to tell you. He is the only way. I believe in Buddha. Buddha didn't die for you. I believe in Muhammad. Muhammad didn't die for you. I believe in Al Ron Hubbard. Al Ron Hubbard didn't die for you. I believe in myself. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> Christ died for you. Rose again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So the first answer to our sin problem is Christ. The second problem, the second issue to the Christian, the problem with transformation in our lives is, say this with me, transform, a, a, lack a lack of transformation is a result, result. of, a, of failing, failing to pursue the kingdom. We have problems in our lives because we're designed to pursue the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him. Salvation is the Greek word sozo, and it means fully blessed. Salvation was never, the word salvation was never intended to merely be the forgiveness of sins. Again, you see me, you told me, show me, heard me talk about it. Salvation is the doorway into the kingdom. That's what it is. Jesus said, I'm the door. The door into what? The kingdom. That's the point. Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, sweet by and by, brother. We're just going to hold on here in the rotten here and now until the sweet by and by comes. Who told you that? Again, not in your Bible. <laughs> Those are philosophical approaches of the church, but it's not in the scripture. We're called to pursue the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign, the inbreaking of God into our lives. And by pursuing the kingdom of God, the blessing of God comes over us and into our lives. The kingdom comes into the heart. It starts with the born-again experience. Being born again is an experience. It's not a knowledge. It's not a knowing. It's an experience. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I got born again. Something changed. Everything changed. different. I don't know what happened, but something's different. That's your born again. You know, you may have lost the joy of your salvation. It may have kind of dulled it down, but go back to that moment and remember that moment and remember what changed in you and remember that. Remember that. It's the born-again experience. Salvation and the pursuit of the kingdom brings the fullness. The fullness. Okay, so now we have part. We can have fullness in part. When Jesus comes, we get fullness inside the fullness. But right now we have a limitation because of the fallenness of this world. But we can still have the fullness within the limited sphere of the world. I'm going to skip that part. You're born again to bring the kingdom. You're born again to bring the kingdom. Say this with me. Heaven. This is good news. And eternal life are my destiny. Ah, what a beautiful statement. You're going to live forever. Eternally. You say, where am I going to live? In heaven. What's heaven like? Well, let's just use the word paradise. What's paradise like? Better than you can imagine. Well, I can imagine a lot. Yeah, we'll keep on dreaming. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared. It's beyond what you can imagine. It's a perfect world beyond imagination. It's beauty and wonder and everything you've ever hoped for and dreamed for. It's there. It's perfect. Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. The word is heaven eternally. That's your destiny. Your, 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 your destiny. So heaven and eternal life are your destiny. But I want you to say this. Bringing the kingdom is my mandate. It's your mandate. You are commanded and called to bring the kingdom pursue it, and bring it forth into this world. Well, how? What did Jesus say? On earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means you were to do exactly that in every sphere. Well, how does that work? Well, let's just, we'll say this. The kingdom begins with me. So here's how Jesus does it. He starts with you. He takes individuals, begins to build them. Then he puts individuals together, builds them into a body and then into the body he takes and builds a culture so he takes individuals to build a body then he builds a body and then he builds a culture that's the idea but his work in your life is to build the kingdom in your life what does that mean the king's dominion the rule and the reign of God in your life where in every area in every area Christians love Jesus but they don't but Jesus is not the master of their time you know what you're here today this morning and you're declaring, Lord, you are worth my time. Do you know have any people are on vacation? Not. There's nothing wrong with vacation. I mean, but there are people that consistently, and just at every turn, tell the Lord you're not worth. That's the Sunday is a witness not unto the Lord, but not only unto the Lord, but to the culture. It's a mystery. Why do you guys come to church? Because Jesus is worth it. Well, what's the next question? Why is Jesus worth it? Because. Right? It's a witness and a testimony. Say, you're religious. I'm not religious. I worship. I honor God because he's worth it. He's worth it. And let the conversation go from there. We have a lot of believers who, who, who claim Christ, but Jesus is not Lord of their time. Christians who claim Christ, but Jesus is not Lord of their money. Oh, we're getting real personal now, Kevin. Well, let's get a little more uncomfortable. There's lots of Christians who claim Jesus is Lord, but will not allow him to tell them to do anything with their body. God is not the God of their body. Don't you tell me what to do with my body. Oh, you're making me uncomfortable. But Jesus is Lord. Yeah, but you know, he's not Lord of your body, is he? You make that determination. He's not Lord of your time. Your first acclamation is to bring the king's dominion into those spheres of your life, into the way that you think, you don't, you don't, you're, not, you're not allowing the thoughts of the kingdom and the, the mind of Christ to permeate you. You're thinking worldly and you're thinking carnal. Jesus is Lord of your life or your heart, but he's not Lord of your mind and your thoughts. He's not Lord of your dreams and your desires. Your dreams and your desires revolve around you. They don't revolve around him. He's not even part of the equation. Right? So the inbreaking of the kingdom of God begins with the individual. You have to bring your time under his lordship. He's Lord. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's your father. We do it because he says so. So I told first service, we do it, number one, because our father says so. And we do it because it must be done. And we do it because there is no one else to do it. Pick one. There's no other people on the world and on the planet that's been given the mandate to bring the kingdom to the world. Who's going to do it? The Moose Lodge? The Kiwanis Club? Who's going to do it? The United Way? V, the, the, VF, the VFW, they're not doing any of that. The, the mandate to bring the kingdom and heaven to earth has been given to the church and the church alone. No one else can do it. No one else can. We do what must be done. What's it going to cost you? Everything. Everything. That's what I bought into the gospel because it was a cause worthy of my life. I didn't come into this for a vacation home. <laughs> it was a radical calling into a revolution of transformation. Into my life and into the world. That's what I bought into. I don't know what you bought into. Comfort? Jesus is going to sweep you out of here before the Antichrist comes? Woo, that's what I want. All your needs are going to be met for you. The angel's going to fluff a pillow for you, put your feet up if you get tired. Don't worry, we'll take care of everything for you. That's not the kingdom, people. You're called into a revolution, a radical revolution. You're called to follow a God who commands it. He commands it. Say, I don't have to obey. No, you don't. You get to. How many many kings actually talk to people? Do you know that? But yet your king will command you. Do you know in ancient times, when a king commanded you, it was one of the highest honor? If a king was to command a servant, that servant was to be looked upon with favor. They didn't look upon the servant as disdain. This is whom the king commands. This is the king's servant, the one whom the king commands. Among all of these, he commands this one. We look at it like, oh, how dare he command me he commands you he puts honor on your life because he puts a command over you command me lord all that you desire i am yours i live and breathe for you in you i live move and have my being where's that message no jesus is your bellhop ding 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 what do you need well just believe god for it you should believe god You should believe God for everything that he's promised, but you should also believe God for everything he's told you to do in context of his kingdom. That comes first. That's first and foremost. That's paramount. That's the gospel. That's the kingdom. That's the unpopular message of the church, but it's the radical summons. And the Holy Spirit inside of you is roaring like a lion and going, Yes! Yes! Because that is the witness and the testimony of Christ in your heart. And the Spirit is echoing it back to you because you know you and you feel like oh, that's true. It's like, yeah, it's true because the Spirit is bearing witness. With it. Basic discipleship. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. Is that a consistent pattern in your life? I didn't say perfect, but is it consistent? Are you consistently reading your Bible? Listening to it on the, on the, you have it on your phone. I mean, man, we can't get away from it. You got it anywhere you want. Are you reading your Bible? Are you consistently praying? Is there a prayer rhythm in your life? Is there? Is there communion with God? Prayer is intercessory, prayer is petition, but prayer is also listening to him, requesting of him, committing and connecting to church. Are you here more than you're not? Oh, you know, pastor, you're, you're really encroaching. You're violating the space barrier. There's no space barrier. You're commanded. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some. Read it in the Greek. It's an emphatic imperative, which means it's a command. You know what that means? He's not asking you. He's telling you. You are called to be part of a body. You are called to be committed and connected to a church. Pick one, but you're called to be that. And you are not to neglect it. You are commanded to not neglect it. Do we? All the time. All the time. Do we profit from it? Nope. Nope. Key areas of your life, your faith, your family, your future, your finances, key possessions of your life. Jesus is to be Lord of your time, of your body, of your thoughts, of your dreams, of your desires. This is where the dominion dominion of God begins with you. And so we bring our lives under his lordship. Everything is under his lordship, the way that he wants it and the will that he wants it. My life belongs to him. And as I pursue that, the kingdom of God, everything that I need comes to me. That's why most of the stuff doesn't come to you, because you're seeking you. Seek first the kingdom of Kevin and what is right to him, and everything won't be added to me. You're seeking the kingdom of you and what is right to you, and therefore nothing is added to you. And you kick against the goads, and you say, oh, the gospel doesn't work or the promises of God aren't true. Who told you that? Change in the process. All right, I've got I to close. I'm over. You have to change in the process. Say this with me. Change, change. is a process. Your hurts, your hang-ups, and your habits didn't get there overnight, okay? So for you to change, it's going to be a process. It's going to be a process. First of all, you gotta change your thoughts and your attitudes. You have to change your thinking. You have to stop thinking worldly. You have to stop thinking carnal. You have to believe that God loves you. You have to believe you're a son and daughter. You have to believe he has something for you. You have to believe that your life belongs to him. You have to change the way that you're thinking. You have to renew yourself in the spirit of your mind and thoughts and attitudes, Ephesians 4.23. How do I do that? Worship, prayer, scripture, church, Holy Spirit. Number two, you need to know truth. Do you know truth? This is again, read, this will, we apply this to reading your Bible. You know what knowing truth means? It means growing up. Say this with me. I need, I need to, grow to grow up. So true. We would, Ephesians 4.14, no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Christians are tossed to and fro and taught all kinds of stupid things because they don't know their Bible. And they're children. Deceived by the cunning and trickiness of wind. Ephesians 4.21, you have heard him and taught of him as the truth is in Jesus. We need to know truth. Jesus is truth. Truth is Christ. Number three, you need a clean house. You want to change? You want to operate in transforming power? This is how it works. Change your thinking. No truth. Clean house. Clean house. Anybody like cleaning houses? Anybody? All right. Sherry cleaned the house last week, and she reminded me that it took her 10 hours to clean the house. I've been reminded all week long, I clean this house for 10 hours. Do not leave that cup on the counter. <laughs> I clean this house for 10 hours. I need those socks picked up right now. <laughs> clean house. It's a process. It takes time. Bible says get rid of everything that slows us down, especially sins that distract us. Run the race that's in front of you. Get rid of the distractions. What does that look like? People, places, and things, man. Get rid of the people, the places, and the things that are getting in the way of what God has called you to do and God, whom God has called you to be. Get rid of them. You say, I'll be alone. So what? You'll be alone. Jesus is with you. You'll get new friends. You get new people, new places, new things. If there's something in the way, get rid of it. Number four, if you got an issue and you need, and you need, you need help, everybody say this with me team tackle. team tackle. Right? Football fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Guy takes the ball, he's too big, nobody can bring him down, the whole team dives on him, right? Sometimes there's problems in your life that are too big for you. You need to team tackle those things. You need to get around people who've either been through what you've been through, overcome what, you've over, what you need to overcome, or know a key or an application to get you free or to help you with the problem that's too big for you. Lastly, spiritual empowerment. It's not by patent and might nor by power, but by my spirit, the Lord says... Ephesians 3.20 says, By the working of his mighty power within us, God will do more than we could ever ask or dare or think. According to the working of his mighty power, it's the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing that we heavily emphasize here, it's knowing and developing intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's paramount. It's essential. It's everything. Everything comes from the center and the powerment of the Spirit. You can't do anything without the Spirit's power. You can't forgive without the Spirit's power. You can't love without the Spirit's power. There's nothing in you that you have the ability to do without the Holy Spirit. You need to stop beating yourself up and realize your inabilities are a a direct reflection of your lack of spiritual immersion. If you're angry all the time, get in the Spirit. Get full of the Spirit, you won't be angry. You leave your wallet at home because you're going to start throwing money around. You get it, you can be, you can, I've seen people go from absolute angry people. They get in the spirit, and just the joy of Jesus is all over them. True. You're greedy. Whatever it is, get in the spirit. Get in the spirit. You, you'll, things will change. It's by the Holy Spirit. So what is it? How do we activate this overcoming power? It's power over sin. You have to change your thinking, be renewed with truth, clean house, team tackle, and live from spiritual power. Amen. Amen. And I'm out of time. <laughs> I could keep going, but I'm out of time. <laughs> Thus is my message and the message for you this morning. We have a prayer team available for you at, over here. Um, the ministry school is going to go on today, so we are definitely going to have it. And uh, so if you're interested in coming to that, you're more than welcome to. And then um, last but not least, let me bless you. Let me ask you this question. If you've never given your life to Christ... You say, well, I think I have. Well, let's be sure, all right? The Bible says make your calling and election sure. Examine yourself to see if you're actually born again. It tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He is risen from the dead, we'll be saved. It never tells us to understand anything with our minds. And I met a lot of people who won't come to Jesus because they can't understand this conceptually in their mind. Well, the Bible never tells you to understand it conceptually in your mind. It tells you to simply believe it from the heart. Big difference. So if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, we're going to pray a prayer as a group. And all you've got to do is open your heart and pray the prayer. And Jesus will do exactly what he promises to do. So let's pray that together. Just say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I believe, I believe. You, are Savior, you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I, a Savior. I may not understand this, I understand. but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah's going to give prophetic word today, so if you guys need a